welcome to episode 25 of ESPN's The Far Post podcast. My name is Marissa Lodanik. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. I am joined, as I always am, by my three best pals. It's Angel Prishamilk, Sam Lewis and Anna Harrington. We're here to talk more women's football. That's what we do here every week. Uh, so we'll crack straight into it with some You Love to See It's. I'm going to kick us off with a you love to see it for this week. So uh, the FAWSL returned after its international break. There was only a handful of games trying to catch up after all the the weather issues and the COVID issues. So we had only a handful of games. But uh, of those games, there was an absolutely spectacular goal from Arsenal's Katie McCabe. She receives the ball uh, just around the corner of the box and unleashes an absolute rocket of a shot. Lisa Weiss could not do anything about it in the Aston Villa goal. And it was a great day for Arsenal. They ended up winning 4-0. So an absolute banger of a goal from Kane McCabe. You love to see it. Uh, Sam, what did you love to see this weekend? Okay, brace yourselves. Huh? Huh? <laughs> This week, I loved to see Perth Glory's game against Sydney FC, which featured four braces. There was a brace to Perth Glory's Hannah Lowry and a brace to Remy Seamson, Princess Abini and Claire Wheeler. I'm pretty sure it is the game that has had the most braces in the history of the W League. I'm going to perhaps have to double check that with friend of the pod, Andy Howe, stats extraordinaire for Australian football. But it was just fabulous to see, you know, what we could actually see of it. And we might get onto that a little bit later. So four braces to four young talents in the W League. You love to see it. You love to see it specifically. It was a great game for for your brand in particular, Sam. Uh, Harrow, what did you love to see this weekend? Marissa, I love to see um, Melbourne Victory captain Angie Beard uh, finally score her first goal for Victory. She'd scored one at Brisbane Raw as a kid, but um, this is her fourth season at Victory. She wasn't actually captain for the day. Uh, Amy Jackson was in her record-breaking appearance. And Angie Beard's just got off the leash. She's uh, cut in from the left, as she loves to do, and... I mean, you could say she was probably trying to cross it or float it in. Um, either way, it's it's not a great day for for Keely Richards, who completely misjudges it, and it sort of nestles in the back of the net. But for Angie Beard, who absolutely threw the arms out and loved it, um, fantastic moment. So Angie Beard finally getting on the score sheet for Melbourne Victory. You love to see it. You so love to see it. I think, I don't know about you guys, but I was really like confused that it was her first goal in victory colors I don't know why there was such a heavy association with Angie Beard and goals but I literally had to go double check it because I was like you're lying victory social media admin there's no way this is her first goal in victory colors so you absolutely love to see it and we also love having you back Harrow so welcome welcome back um thanks for having (laughs) me back I missed it although I can say I did listen to the pod that didn't feature me not saying anyone else in this pod hasn't done that. Righto. Righto. <laughs> it was a very good, very good listen. Um, I, I loved it. Great work, guys. But it's nice to be back. We love having you back. We're not touching the other thing. Angela, what did you love to see this weekend? Um, so same game, uh, the, the victory Canberra game. The Angela Derby, um, I love to see Nikki Flannery score. So she equalised um, shortly before halftime. Brilliant. It wasn't a through ball because it didn't like go through in between any players, but Gallich like made this brilliant pass outside and it cut around Polly Doran and Nikki Flannery. She's 
got the speed. She's gotten onto that. And then it's just an easy little finish with her left foot into the bottom right corner. And yeah, wonderful, wonderful stuff. And it's her second for the season. But yeah, Nikki Flannery scoring. I'm always a big fan of that. You'll love to see it. Absolutely. Love to see it. But um, while we're on the, the Angela Derby, we might as well start right there. Angela, I'm, I'm going to throw it back to you because it's your namesake Derby. So tell us a bit about it. You were down there. What did you make of the game? How did you see it unfolding? What what happened at the Angela Derby, Angela? Yeah, I think so. Victory made quite a strong start, I would say, and they did look like the more dominant force throughout. But that second half was just frustrating, like for both sides, whether you're a fan of Canberra, whether you're a fan of Victory either one of those could have broken that draw, like that one or score line, and it just didn't happen. Um, there were some interesting subs as well from the victory side of things. So I thought Kyra Cooney-Cross, she's, she's been having a great season. Maybe wasn't her best game, but she was definitely um, making herself known and, and making some good um, passes and that sort of thing. But she did get subbed off, but that could have been because it was a really hot day. I don't know. It's probably it. Um, but, yeah, and just that that second half, there were moments where it was just a lot of, yeah, shoot, fucking. Like, it was just no one was pulling the trigger for victory. So we were at the other end and you could just see them faffing about with it and they were getting the opportunities and they were getting the crosses in. There were a number of moments where they were, like, these great crosses. I think a lot of them from Angie Beard. She had a spectacular game to the back post and there was no one there. And I'm like, <laughs> come on guys get it together. anyway so I think actually the scoreline is pretty reflective of the game itself I don't think like yeah either side could have gone up but they just didn't and it was yeah a, fr- a frustrating time I, I reckon there was a bit to be said for those changes in terms of maybe victory having an eye to their game um, against Western Sydney on Thursday night um They've got a reasonable run home victory. They they play Perth twice. It's a very good run home, actually. They play Perth twice, the Wanderers, and they finish off against Sydney FC. So they are genuinely in like pole position to make finals. And just based on that. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting to see Karakuni Cross hooked. I thought they lacked that little bit of penetration after that in terms of just cracking that Canberra defense a, a bit more. Annalie Longo gave a bit of energy, but I agree, Angela. It was very frustrating. It felt like, and we had people behind us saying as much at the game, they're trying to walk it in. Why are you trying to walk it in? It was real shoot fucking energies from the crowd. Like, And credit to the Canberra defence. There's a couple they cleared off the line. There are a couple of really timely interceptions. Um, Keely Richards won the ball off Lisa Devanna at one point when she would have been steaming through on goal otherwise. It was pretty brave given if she times that wrong, she's off the pitch. She was very controlled in the way she handled that. Um, but yeah, I think for both teams, really frustrating. Like we were at, as we know, the Olympico end, um, which meant victory was shooting that way in the first half and Canberra in the second. And Canberra had one where they sort of blazed it over the bar that was a bit wasteful, um, had a shot, just skid past the post. And then at the other end, victory just seemed to waste chance after chance. But I thought in the first half, victory could easily have been two or three goals up and just didn't convert. Um it just felt like they weren't quite connecting. I think it hurt when Captain Zimmerman went off with a little bit of a, I think it was a bit of a niggling injury. I don't think it was anything too serious, but she was in a bit of discomfort and went over to the trainers and then eventually came off. I think they missed her because they uh, tend to really love that rotating forward group with ears and 
Zimmerman and Davana and then Cooney Cross or Privatelli or whoever working their way through. Um, so I thought that was a, an interesting one. But, yeah, it was, it was probably a fair result, to be honest, the draw. Um, victory should have. I felt like victory should have made the most of it and then sort of midway through the second half, Canberra could easily have taken the lead on multiple occasions and then victory should have snatched it at the death but didn't. And when you've got so many shoulda, woulda, couldas, a one-all draw is probably a fair result. It's worth remembering as well that Canberra haven't played in two weeks. You know, mm. they, they had the bye and so they came into, into this game sort of not really having the competitive minutes that victory had. And they also came in off the back of a pretty, a pretty sort of underwhelming uh, series of performances as well. They only won one of their last five games. So I thought their second half in particular was really impressive. You know, their first half, they were sort of like, they sort of had a bit of whiplash. Like they were like, oh my God, this is like this victory press is incredible. Like we don't know how to play out of this. Constant long balls trying to find Michelle Heyman who was being marked out of the game. But then clearly Vicky Linton said something to them at halftime. They started to calm down. They started to have a little bit more control off the ball and made it really difficult for Victory to play to their own plan. Um, and the, it's interesting that you say the, the, the goal line clearances because that, that clearance from Jessica Nash when Lisa Devanna was just like curling her foot backwards to rifle home a shot, I was like, oh, my God, I would not want to be in the vicinity of Lisa Devanna's traction engine of a foot in that moment. But... 17-year-old Jessica Nash, just like in the final second of that moment, was like, oh, my God, I just like cleared it off. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, a one-all draw is probably deserved considering the the sort of uh, the ebb and flow of that game. Victory were really dominant in the first half, but then Canberra were able to answer a lot of the questions that they were asking them in the second. And there were chances at both ends. Um, they were very different kinds of chances. And a lot of it came down to, you know, people being in the right place at the right time. And you're right, Harriet, the substitution of Zimmerman, I thought, was um, was a big one because then you saw Leah Privatelli come on in her place. But Emma Ilijowski, the, the young uh, Canberra left back, I thought was pretty well all over Privatelli when she came on in sort of towards the back end of the first half. Um, and she had an absolute screamer as well. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that it was a, it was a really good game to watch tactically, I think, um, in, in terms of the contrast of the two halves. And I was like, it was the game that I was on the edge of my seat on towards the, the end of it in the final sort of 10 or 15 minutes, because it could have gone either way. And that's exactly what we want. Ultimately, I think the results probably a bit more costly for Canberra than for Victory. I think Victory have a that bit more wiggle room um, in terms of the ladder. So just for context, like Sydney, 24 points, Brisbane, 19, Adelaide, 16, Victory 14, Canberra 12. Victory and Canberra both have a game in hand. Victory's four goals up in terms of goal difference and, as I mentioned, has that better run home. Um, I think it's it was quite a costly sort of two points dropped for Canberra in terms of keeping themselves right in the thick of things. And we know Western Sydney are sort of pressing as well and are sort of on the periphery, but I felt like it was just one where Canberra really, I think, needed to sneak the result. Like they needed one of those shots that faded wide or went over the bar in the second half to go in. They sort of needed, they needed to probably get a bit of a scalp, like get a big, big name team and just sort of assert themselves. Given, as you mentioned, Sam, they probably had a bit of whiplash from earlier results. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's going to be quite difficult for Canberra now. I'm not writing them off because it's still very close, but they've got to play, I mean, they've got to play Brisbane next. And then they have games against Canberra and Newcastle, which would back them to win. And then they finish off against Sydney. Like, 
it's it's not uh it's far from an ideal run home i'd say so i think it feels to me like victory if they can get the next couple of results right then they're pretty much home and host and canberra if adelaide keep picking up points it's, it's looking pretty difficult for canberra to make it now sort of off topic but how good is having a fixture like for the next few weeks lovely uh, just checking, just having a little look on, on Google and seeing what's coming up. It's quite wholesome. How nice is being able to, like, plan our lives around a thing that has already been decided on our behalf? I really enjoy the safety and comfort that this provides me. I'm so glad that I'm not a player who has had to get to this point, having to plan my entire life around a rolling fixture list. So, yeah, shout out to uh, Football Australia and the clubs for finally being able to organise something like this because... Uh, the players and the fans and people like us really appreciate it. I enjoy it thoroughly from the podcast perspective. I know that when I say the fixtures on the pod in a day's time, they're still going to be the fixtures. So big fan of that. But yeah, shout out to the leagues and the FA. They've done a sensational job there. I think you guys have summed it up really well in the sense that the draw was very much a fair reflection of the game, but it did absolutely nothing for either of those sides in the actual grand scheme of this season. Whereas a side that took their opportunity and it's really, you know, going to, or it looks like it's going to benefit them was Adelaide. They got the win over Newcastle on Friday night, a 2-1 victory. Sam, are Adelaide going to do it? We've kind of been asking this question now for a few weeks, but we need to keep asking it. Are they going to do it? Has this win kind of now cemented that finals place? I think they're going to do it. I've, I've written about this before. We've talked about this before, but these are the kinds of games that I think are, um, they, they sort of demonstrate the grit that's needed for championship title contenders you know you sometimes you have you come up against a team that is not especially favored but they set up in a way that makes it really difficult for you and you have to you have to find ways to get results in those games and I think that game against Newcastle over the weekend was that game for them we saw that Newcastle are a decent team we saw that how they pushed Sydney FC towards the start of the season and Sydney really had to try and get three points out of that um, but even in saying that, I thought Adelaide probably could have come away with far more goals than what they ended up scoring uh, if it weren't for, you know, a couple of sort of golden misses, a couple of things that a couple of chances that came off the post that Mallory Weber sort of had a couple goes. Um, and there was some also some quite good goalkeeping in there by uh, Claire Coelho as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think based on that, Adelaide's... Um, they they sort of they're still they're still in the conversation as Harry mentioned before, uh, but I'd be interested to see um, how they go in their upcoming games because they still have to play Sydney FC again next week, um, and then they have to play Brisbane. So those are two sides that if they want to secure a spot in the top four, I think they need to get points from those games. Otherwise, they're probably going to be leapfrogged by victory and maybe even Canberra. Sam, you talked about it on the pod last week as well, how they never were properly out of the game against Sydney. They may be a little bit shell-shocked and took the while to find their feet. But once they did, they sort of really worked their way back in. This time they're playing at home and it's a bit, it can be a bit warmer. At, at, I think it's at Martin this game. It can be pretty warm and a bit unforgiving, the conditions. And Adelaide, I think, really embraced that home advantage. Um, and Sydney are coming off a big win over Perth, but they've had to travel. They're doing back-to-back travel. Adelaide are up and about. 
had a couple of wins. Like this is the game where we talked about, I mentioned before with Canberra really needed to beat a big team to sort of really keep themselves right in that top mix. Adelaide pull out a result here, pretty much looking a final spot, you'd think. They know they can beat a good team. They only lost a victory like 1-0. They've been competitive against everyone. Like, that's where you can start to believe, I think. I think they need to pull out some sort of result against Sydney. Um, On home soil. And as you mentioned, they're following that up with Brisbane. The last thing that you really want to have to do is rely on getting a result against a Wanderers team who've been a bit of a surprise packet in that last round. It's You want to try and get some points before then to really put Canberra out of the conversation. Because I, th- I think victory, based on their run home, and given they've got a game in hand, should be able to lock in that that third spot, really. And it, I think it will effectively come down to Adelaide and Canberra. So if Adelaide can pull off a result against Sydney, when I think a lot of the conditions are heading in their favour next week, we may well just about have the final four locked in. And I have to say, it must be nice as an Adelaide fan um, to have a consistent Adelaide side. This is like their across the board best season that I've ever seen them in, in terms of like consistently putting in and producing results. Instead, they they have had a habit in the past to have really uneven, like either really good starts or really great finishes. But yeah, this is super exciting. And that fact alone, I think that they can do it and they can make it into the top four. Saying something with conviction doesn't happen very often. Take note. <laughs> I also love with Adelaide in terms of that consistency, Angela, that they're getting consistent goal scorers. Though what Newcastle were doing, just leaving Emily Condon, who just consistently scores winners at the moment all by herself, like about, what, six, eight yards out from goal? Not sure about that one. But to have players like Condon and Chelsea Dorber as well, who scored a great goal, just being the right place, right time, and actually taking their opportunities is um, is really heartening to see. They're not just blasting them over the bar or putting them wide. They're actually taking, as we talked about, all preseason games by the scruff of the neck and making it their own. And I think that's really exciting. So I guess Adelaide's destiny is very much in their own hands now. Like They entirely control what's going to happen to them. Um, and if they can get a result, then no one else can actually affect them. The thing that excites me most about this Adelaide team is actually next season because this is the sort of the first season where we've seen the product of the last couple of years come to fruition. We've seen the chemistry developing between these players and we've seen them now finally given their opportunity and we see what they can do. This is a really good team, but they're going to be even better with another W League season under their belts, you know. So I'm so excited to see what a Chelsea Dorber, what a Dylan Holmes, what an Emily Condon, what these players can do with another year, another 12, 14 games under their belts, another sort of another winter season in the NPL, hopefully as part of more national team identification camps, other kinds of programs that accelerate their development um, in the off season as well. And then hopefully Adelaide's plan is to try and keep as much of this group together as possible so that when they come into the next season, they can absolutely hit the ground running and maybe even go for a premiership title or a championship title, because that I think would be just reward for all the hard work that Adelaide have put in over the last couple of years with this group of players. Well, Sam, I think that's the difference between this Adelaide group and, say, the Wanderers group from last year. And this is not meant to be any sort of um, slight on these Adelaide players, but I think as opposed to 
maybe some of the victory or wondrous players from the last couple of seasons, most of these Adelaide players, I say, aren't ready to take that step to a big European league yet. They probably need another season of consistent, not just consistent, actually high grade W League football under their belts, like to really make an impression before, I guess, taking that next step. So that puts Adelaide in a very good position because you should be able to keep those players together. You should be able to build on what you've achieved. And if you get the finals achievement this year, then it's a huge platform to build off. Like making finals, winning a final, all these things are massive, but they should be able to keep this playing group together because they're at that level where there's some very good W League performers, but they're not always very, very good consistently. They're still getting to that point. And if they can keep them together next year, as you say, Sam, they could really bear fruit as those players take it to another level. Um, I was going to ask Anna, is it now the autumn of Cote Rojas or is it the autumn of Emily Condon? Like what's your perspective on that? That's a good question. Um, well, I think it, it was the summer of Cote Rojas, but it was very much the, uh, the summer of Emily Condon in terms of performances. Um, I don't know. I think I've really got to stick with my bit here, don't I? Like, if the summer of Cote Rojas was big, the autumn of Cote Rojas is uh, hopefully going to be next level. She's not scored as many goals as I thought. But I think, well, yeah, once you've got your bit, you've got to stick to it. It's the summer of Cote Rojas, but it's a Condon for all seasons. So um, we'll, we'll stick with that. Bravo. Thank you for the... Oh, yes! We like Thank that. You. We like that a lot. Thank you for the validation, friends. Big fan of it. <laughs> um, all right. So we need to move right along uh, to Perth v Sydney. So do we want to talk about the football first or do we want to talk about, uh, you know? Always talk about football first. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Well, um, who watched I, I was I was not watching it. I was distracted for the entire game because of reasons. So if anyone has any takes on the actual football, please. I find that funny because I was watching the game and I concentrated a lot more without um, the sounds, the commentary <laughs> that was missing because I wasn't relying on that to like pick up it on it. But thankfully, we'll we'll get to that. But um, Sam had takes and points. I did have takes and points. Um, I tweeted last week that one of the big exclusions from the Sydney FC squad is their captain, Teresa Polias. She had to stay in Sydney to work. And this was a Thursday night game, so she couldn't travel all the way to West Australia to play this game. And, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't feel like Sydney would suffer necessarily because of her absence, Um and obviously they didn't. I was actually kind of surprised at how well they did without her. Um, I think one of Sydney's um, best attributes this season has been adding depth to their midfield so that you can lose a Teresa Polias and insert a player like a Taylor Ray, who basically does the same job and has been working alongside Polias for a number of seasons now and so knows exactly what she should be doing in those spaces. Um, but again, as I said at the top of the pod, Claire Wheeler is just going from strength to strength, honestly. Like she is one of the most exciting midfielders, I think, in the competition. And if she is not in conversations for senior Matildas uh, 
squads in the next couple of years. I will be, I know I say this a lot, but I will be genuinely shocked. And this is not just because I'm a Claire Wheeler stan, but the, the way in which she has changed the dynamics of Sydney's midfield, the way that she offers a different point of attack um, in a very similar way to a Tamika Yallet, for example, she comes from a deeper number 10, number eight sort of role. She runs for days. She always picks up her defensive responsibilities. And she's also quite creative and quite clever on the ball. She's able to sort of make decisions and uh, change angles in ways that I don't think a lot of other players can. She's almost sort of become what I thought Rachel Lowe would be in that sort of sense. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I thought Claire Wheeler had an absolutely outstanding game for Sydney and it was fantastic again to see Remy Seamson on the score sheet. She's now one goal behind Emily Gilnick on the Golden Boot Ladder, which is great for my preseason predictions because I said that Seamson would get the Golden Boot this year and after her extraordinary dry spell at the start of the season, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be found out. Finally, finally, the, the community is going to know that I'm a complete fraud. Um, so it was really, really good to see her uh, get on the score sheet and Princess Abel as well this has been her best season I think in the Sydney FC shirt she has been so consistent and it's just great to see her playing with confidence and and joy and freedom like pulling out tricks doing nutmegs step overs all this sort of stuff that I feel like we always wanted to see from Princess Sabini she's now actually showing that uh so yeah I you know the, the score line to, to Perth's credit they still continue to press. They still continue to go forward. They still continue to try and play attacking forward football. And that's a real credit to, I think, Aparkis and the sort of the, um, I guess, the culture that he's trying to instill in those players. Um, and, yeah, and you saw, you saw that sort of culture emerged with Hannah Lowry's two goals, which I think were two of the fastest goals ever scored back-to-back in the W League as well. So, so there was a whole lot that happened on the field when we could actually see it. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a second. Harry, what did you reckon about it? Yeah, I like what you say, Sam, about um, Perth going for the game. I think they would have been pretty flat with the way they conceded some of those goals, though. Um, Sydney have got a good forward line that we know this. They've delivered all season. But there are a couple where I think Alpha would have, would have been disappointed with their keeping. There are a few moments where their defence really let themselves down. They got caught on the break multiple times, which is not ideal, especially when I imagine they would have been ceding possession a lot too. Um, I think they'd be pretty flat to ship that many goals because so often when we talk about building teams up from difficult positions, and we saw this with Jeff Hopkins' victory, it starts with conceding less goals and building it up. And while there were some really positive pieces of attacking play and Hannah Lowry is just a really composed finisher, I, I loved um, her couple of goals. I think they'd be pretty flat with the way they um, they shipped some of them, just uh, not really up up to a, probably their own personal standards. And that can happen a bit when you, you're copying a bit of a thumping and a couple more just happen late, especially that one um, sort of deep in injury time that had been pretty flat about. The other thing with uh, Princess Sabini was, I love the, speaking of that late goal she scored, was she would have had such tired legs and, as you said, been so influential, made so many runs, had been doing the tricks and all sorts. But her work to keep the ball in and just to, keep the momentum going I thought was really encouraging for a player who we talked about has previously more been seen in glimpses I think these are the really important things you have to get right like I'm sure she has always had the work ethic but when you've got to bust a gut really late in a game and you're already five two up and to keep going and pressing and have the hunger to create another one I thought that was really great the other thing was just on 
Claire Wheeler momentum, Sam. Um, I know preseason, your talk was, can she be the next group of number sixes? But I don't think Claire Wheeler's solving the number six chat anytime soon because like so many of our other options, she looks a lot better further up the field, getting involved in the creative side of things, busting a gut, um, you know, trying to set up and create the goals. And yeah, she does a defensive running, but if she can be a player who can be more involved in the creative side of things as well, for me, that's that's super exciting. She almost more looks like another future option for the sort of eight or 10. That, that individual goal she scored where she cut in and just rifled it into the top corner was just fantastic. Um, I like, I like the Tamika Yallop comparison there because she just has the best runs of anyone in the league and of any of the Matildas. Um, and it is something we are going to have to look at in the future as our more attacking midfielders get older as well because Yallop's um, getting closer to 30. Um, yeah, Emily Van Egmond is that sort of, you know, mid to late 20s as well. We need more young attacking players coming through as well. And if she can make her mark sort of almost anywhere in the midfield, then that adds another level, I guess, in terms of her staking her claim. So, no, very exciting. But it's just uh, interesting to me that that our talk um, sort of pre-season was can Claire Wheeler fill that sort of six-ish role? And as she's found her feet at Sydney, it's been more in that attacking and creating role, which might actually help because, as we know, if you can get goals, if you can get assists, that really helps put your name up in lights. Um, so, yeah. Very exciting. And she's strung together a couple of really consistent performances as well, which is particularly exciting. But yeah, there's certainly no shortage of um, goals and action on the field. But I guess it was a bit unfortunate that so much of the talk, once again, and we hate talking about this, we hate when this stuff comes up, ended up being about, I guess, the issues surrounding it in terms of broadcast and watching the game. You guys can probably elaborate a bit more than me. Yeah, basically, um, I think everyone watching that game for the first, nearly the entire first half would have been like, is my computer broken? Like, did I, will, I, I probably think a lot of people had that panic attack of, are my speakers broken? Because there was no sound, literally nothing. And then like at maybe like the 25th minute, there was like a little, it was like it was a repressed demon or something. Like some of the current um, commentary leaked out and then it was gone again. and then. Finally, thankfully, before that first goal, um, we had commentary. Um, but, yeah, it was very strange. And that was, I mean, the overall broadcast wasn't great quality, but that was the stand, like the sore thumb in terms of you, that, that what? Like, you can't have a silent broadcast. What's going on? Anyway, Marissa, you, you mentioned that you were quite distracted <laughs> by it. Um, and you watched it live, only watched the replay. What, what was going through your mind <laughs> with that broadcast? Um, it, was, it was, as you said, that panic attack of kind of like, what have I muted where? Um, what's wrong with my headphones? You guys know all too well that me and my headphones, not, not great. So I was there plugging, unplugging wondering what the hell was going on. Of course, then there's that reassurance on Twitter of other people complaining that they couldn't hear. Um, and I think the worst thing, or well, one of the worst things was that I was having this conversation with people in Australia, but also with people overseas. So they were tuning into the W League and that's what they saw. The 
the game being shot on like a second generation iPod and like <laughs> and there being absolutely no sound. Of course, again, we had lots of memes come out of it. It was great. Uh, friend of the pod, Madge made like one. It was um silent film esque where she put a black and white filter on the match footage and then had the oh what a shot from Remy Simpson kind of. It was very funny. We'll give it a retweet. Um, but yeah, just <laughs> it's. Look, this is not the first time we've talked about a Fox broadcast issue. We've spent 33 minutes, like I went back and did the math, we've spent 33 minutes over a variety of episodes talking about broadcast issues and there's nothing new I can say. There's no other way that I can kind of articulate our disappointment. Um, There's, I can't come up with some sort of like witty or cutting line that's going to solve the issue this time because that's not how it works. Um, It just... It sucks that we're we're doing this again. We're here again, and I, I I don't want to talk about it. Like it's it's crap that we're we're here having to talk about it because it's just we're we're over it. The everyone deserves better. But again, I'm repeating myself. I'm repeating you guys. I'm repeating the thoughts of basically the entire community. So I, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, it's exhausting. You know, I'm I'm tired thinking about it and I'm tired clicking on a W League game on KO with a, a an element of nervousness to me thinking what's going to happen this time what's going to be the thing that distracts us from what we should be paying attention attention to which uh, is these ama- amazing players and these amazing games and you know this it sort of felt like this game you know how people talk about like mini matches and how people don't watch full football games anymore. They just go to the highlights page and they watch like the 25 minute cuts of games. Perth vs Sydney felt like the mini match of this entire season. It had everything in it. You know, if you wanted to get a, a real vibe of what the 2020-21 season was like, you just need to watch Perth vs Sydney. We had broadcasting issues. We had a quite a terrible stadium with terrible lighting and a terrible field. We had an amazing number of goals. We had young players doing absolutely brilliant things on the field. We also had a really horrible injury to a veteran player, which we'll get to a little bit later. It had everything. And, you know, that's sort of a good and a bad thing. You know, I I wrote in my ESPN column this week that people like us, we're sort of stuck in a bit of a paradox when it comes to this thing, because, if we don't talk about it, it's almost like a tacit acceptance of the state of things. And that's not acceptable. It's not acceptable, I think, to us as, you know, ethical people. And it's not acceptable to the players who are ultimately the ones who are really suffering because of this. Like, as we said, the first time this happened, these are the games that these W League players are relying on for scouts to be watching, to perhaps find them from overseas and give them contracts at bigger clubs. These are the games that national team coaches are watching to see if they can be included in future World Cup or or Olympic Games or Asian Cup squads. Like this matters to them. This is like literally their careers on the line and they're being treated like garbage. And so if we don't talk about it, if we don't use the platforms like we have here to be like consistently critical of the substandard treatment of this league, it's, I feel like it's just going to become so normalised and we're going to become so exhausted by the constant fuck-ups that nothing will change. 
So I think we just have to keep, as, as tiring as it is, I think we just have to keep beating the drum because we are the ones at the moment in a position who can. Sam, it's like I was, as we know, I wasn't here last pod. I was away down Wilson's prom and I went and I was like, oh, check the hashtag, see what happened in the W League because I obviously didn't have access to the TV and stuff. And the first thing I see is talk about the audio, talk about this cursor that's come up on the screen. Um, that's in group chats. That's in the match hashtag on Twitter. I had to go and actually look, you know, on the various club pages for the first thing to see was that there'd been eight goals scored in the game. Like it was a, you know, a goal fest game, like you said, Sam. And there were so many highlights, young players performing. Sam losing her mind over Claire Wheeler is an important thing to mention in the summary of games this year. But yeah, it is exhausting. Like for that to be the first thing you see every time you're looking for a game, that it's like, what's gone wrong <laughs> you don't want that and I think Sam summarized it perfectly it's it's not good enough and the players deserve better the viewers deserve better and yeah I don't think we want to dedicate too much more time to it to be honest I've thought about this before but it's also like who do we direct these complaints to should we just draft an email and like every time this happens we just everyone sends that same email to this one email address. So there's some form of accountability. I don't know. Or maybe it's that meme of me holding a gun. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if our Far Post listeners are familiar with that, but we can, it can definitely be shared. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know, because otherwise it does sort of feel like yelling into the abyss. Like you're in an abyss with everyone else yelling the same thing and we're all aware of it. But I just wonder if this... Um, anger is reaching those who need to hear it and those who need to hear it they're probably aware that the product is not good and that they're messing things up but yeah I just I don't know I don't know how to force any change it feels like we're just like beholden to that but yeah as you said Sam we just can't accept it it's absolutely that thing of I'm angry who but what what do I do with this anger I I talk to you three like every week so that's what I'm doing and I, I don't want to, like, harp on it more, but, again, just the the starkness of the contrast of the broadcast, like, literally half an hour before that game kicked off, we had a perfectly acceptable Western Sydney v Melbourne City match that had multiple camera angles, a well-lit pitch, two commentators plus a sideline reporter, and half an hour later we had a silent movie. But... um. Can't can't do it, can't do it anymore. Well, so we'll we'll move straight along. I was gonna say you can't Della harp on it anymore. <laughs> Sorry, I will see myself Whee! out. Hey. That's a good one. That's very good. But no, so we we will talk about that that Western Sydney, Melbourne City game, which actually kicked off the round. Um it was a one-nil win to Western Sydney. Sam, you were at the game. What was your take on it yeah it was a, it was sort of an interesting game wasn't it because it, it was a game between two teams who suffer from the same problem which is that we don't know where their goals come from and we saw that in Western Sydney's case by leaving Lena Kamas on the bench for the majority of the game and then she came on and scored in the first like 10 minutes basically of her time on the field um and Melbourne City again they just don't because they don't have that central um focal point 
they just didn't seem to have anything to sort of gravitate around. Their system didn't seem to to do much. And towards the end of the game, we saw players like Alex Chidiak, who we know is most dangerous in central attacking positions, like pulled out to the left and the right wing and trying to do things all on her own that her little legs just weren't capable of doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, so aside from from that and being a nice demonstration of the the sort of the two uh, structural flaws in those two teams, I actually thought the second half of the game was really good. I really enjoyed a lot of the little one v one battles across the field. George Yeomandale against Sam Johnson was really fun to watch. Uh, I don't know if if anyone else saw it, but uh, there was a tackle uh, I think in the towards the start of the second half and uh, GYD and, and Johnson sort of got quite tangled right on the sideline near the broadcast camera and there was a little bit of like a moment of like oh my god it's gonna it's gonna happen isn't it and then everything calmed down and they sort of went their separate ways and it was great it's plain hang on no beat or rhythm (laughs) just vibes just vibes that was some philly and elevator music (laughs) oh my god um Another battle that I really enjoyed was Tegan Collister against Tori Tumuth, uh down the right wing. They were Sydney University teammates in New South Wales MPL. They're about the same age. Uh, they've been in and around sort of the higher echelons of uh, sort of youth national team discussions for a while. And they just, I don't know what their personal relationship is like, but if, if their battle on the field was anything to go by, they do not like each other. There was some proper like leg breaking, shin pad splinter and tackles there. It was great fun to watch. And it was amazing when they happened on the grandstand side of the field where I was sitting because it was like, it was just, there were so many. Okay. So here's another thing as well. I tweeted about this. There were, uh, there's a club in New South Wales called uh, Bankstown City and they play uh, quite close to where the Wanderers Academy is. And Western Sydney uh, invited, extended an invitation to their SAP program, so their young girls program, to bring all of their players to the game on Thursday. And so heaps of them rocked up. There were over two dozen players. They were all in their Blacktown uh, Spartans tracksuits. And there was a, a big row of girls sitting right on the sideline when uh, Tori and Tegan got into a massive wrestle on the sideline. And I was just like, I, I sort of love this. I sort of love that these young girls are seeing these two young women absolutely battling it out in this particular moment. Like it, in the grand scheme of the game, it didn't really matter that much, but to see young women being physical, caring that much, being aggressive, all that sort of stuff, I thought that that sent a really positive message to the young girls on the sideline who were watching them. Um, and I was I, like, ultimately, I was really impressed by Tegan Collister. I, again, I wrote about her in my ESPN column this week. I think she's gone from strength to strength at Western Sydney. And their system is really able to utilize her skills, which is her speed. And now she's really starting to develop her sort of clinical crossing abilities as well. And we saw that by her assist for Lena Carmes' goal uh, towards the end of the game. So, yeah, I thought the second half really sort of sprung to life. Um, there, was an opportunity, there was a moment where Tegan Micah, again, had an absolute just 
blitzing save on I think a 1v1 with Karmas as well where it was just up like one of those muscle memory reaction saves that I, I literally screamed and I had to save my laptop from falling off off my off my lap in front of me because it was extraordinary uh, but yeah uh, overall I thought it was a, a cracking second half and I'd be interested to see where Wanderers kick on from here. This is their second win um, in the season and they're sort of still in and around, I guess, the periphery of finals discussions if they can continue on. But, yeah, I mean, overall, I thought it was it was a fun game. It's also really good seeing the return of Erica Halloway to, uh, to the pitch as well after returning from an ACL injury. Um, I thought, you know, she didn't, she didn't do much in terms of, you know, stats or whatever, but she looked really, really fit, really speedy, um, and just really hungry to get involved, which is really great. You know, she was Western Sydney's captain last season. Uh, she obviously plays a really big role off the field with these younger players in a mentoring capacity. So, yeah, it was really cool to see her come back, and I hope she kicks on as well. I reckon uh, Melbourne City's defence, Emma Checker and Jenna McCormick, the central figures, and it won't be too happy with uh, how the goal played out. As you said, Sam, ripping little run from Collister, who um, is just such an excellent prospect and has that speed to burn. And just the, I guess, the overall lack of awareness. Uh, Lena Karmas is such a senior figure in the W League, like such a long-serving striker. She's imposing. She's always going to be hovering around that sort of goal-mouth area. And I think they just got caught totally on the hop. And at the end of the day, it was she actually had to check herself to make sure she didn't end up offside. She was in that much space. And in the, in the end, a pretty easy finish for her considering her experience so I don't think City would be too wrapped with that but yeah I, I love that Western Sydney have just sort of burst to life um, making this little bit of a late season charge I think it keeps everyone above them on their toes they're still very much in the mix um, as I said uh, very much up against it um, they're on less points than Canberra but it keeps it exciting it's uh, it's still very much live so hopefully they can continue on. And as I said, Adelaide finished their season off against the Wanderers. So if they don't pick up points against Sydney or Brisbane, I wouldn't be envying them having to try and make three points a certainty against the Wanderers, who I think have just picked up a little bit of momentum as the season's gone on. I just have one thought. Actually, it's a question. Where is Harriet Withers? Because I feel like City, going back to what Sam was saying about like Chidiac having to do a lot by herself there wasn't the I think City were lacking speed which is a big asset to them especially attacking so Harriet Withers wasn't put on do you know Anna no you said who is who is Harriet Withers who is Harriet Withers where is Harriet Withers why Harriet Withers why is Harriet Harriet Withers this is getting into really existential territory my friends I'm enjoying this (laughs) do I need to restart my whole word mouth word mouth (laughs) I <laughs> don't think so. Okay. Yes. I don't know. I don't actually know where Harriet Withers was. Yeah. Angela and just- also, okay. Well, yeah, she was She was on the um, the ins and outs. She was classified as in. But anyway, so she wasn't, she didn't play at all. And then they also had Vlanich out with a suspension. And Vlanich has been playing really well. And I think bringing in a lot of um, drive um, to whichever wing she's been playing on. And I don't think... Yeah, that was really substituted in with um, Chinoma Thomas or Sam Johnson, for example. Sam Johnson loves a good tackle, but hasn't been the speediest player this season. So I think that they were lacking that a little bit, City. But um, yeah, Rado, if you're listening, why is Harriet with us? Where is Harriet with us? How is Harriet with us? <laughs> 
All right, so that was a, a bumper crop of uh, W League games and the, the good times keep rolling. We kick off this next round of W League with Victory hosting the Western Sydney Wanderers on Thursday night. That one's down at Lakeside, Lakeside Stadium, so that should be interesting. Uh, we've got two games Saturday and Sunday and I've highlighted them on our rundown because I reckon they could be finals previews we've got Adelaide taking on Sydney on Saturday which is huge for both teams as we've kind of mentioned throughout this episode and then Sunday Canberra taking on Brisbane it's a huge one for Canberra in terms of their finals hopes and it's a huge one for Brisbane in their uh, quest to have an undefeated season so it should be very very interesting and we round things off on Monday evening Perth take on Newcastle so Lots to look forward to in the W League and lots to look forward to in the FAWSL as well. As we mentioned off the top, there was a few matches played this morning. Uh, we had Birmingham losing 4-0 to Man City. Sam, you were scored a brace. It was a very, as you were, as you expect kind of result. Uh, as I mentioned, Arsenal beat Aston Villa 4-0. Lydia Williams played a full game and kept a clean sheet, which we absolutely love to see. Uh, Caitlin Ford was off the bench, so obviously the injury that kept her out of a couple of games isn't as bad as we first thought, so that's awesome to see. And Steph Catley has returned to training, so everything's kind of starting to look good for the Arsenal Aussies. Uh, and to round things out, we had an Aussie derby. We had Everton beating Tottenham 3-2. Alana Kennedy played a full game. Hayley Razo was off the bench. So lots to look forward to in Europe as those matches start to uh, come back to us after the international break. Speaking of the international break, it's been one and done. There was lots of games played, including some Euro qualifiers. So that tournament's starting to uh, take shape in terms of who will be playing the, um, the the interesting thing for us and for our listeners is who was not doing anything in this international break. Harrod, do you want to tell us a little bit about what, what's happened, I suppose, or what hasn't happened in this international break for Aussie Woso fans? Yeah, I guess the main thing is once again we've had an international break come and go and there's been no Matilda's activity Um we know that Tony Gustafsson took the reins in January. There was initially hope of, well, last year there was hope we could see activity in November. That didn't happen because Europe was really escalating with the coronavirus situation. I think as of January, when Sam and I were on Tony's first press conference after officially taking the reins, there was talk of February. Um, that obviously didn't happen. Uh, I spoke to FA Football Australia Chief Executive um, James Johnson about the Legacy 23 um, piece, which Sam mentioned last week, and I sort of honed in for AAP on what's happening with the Tillies. When are we going to see the Tillies? The Tillies, where are they? Um, I think a timeless vibe for us at the moment. Essentially, the gist of it is they decided last month that February didn't look realistic. We know that a fair chunk of the team is over in Europe. A fair chunk of the team is here in Australia. Um, so now what JJ said to me was they were eyeing off April um, in terms of the camp potential games. They were hoping for that. But he did say, and this is an actual quote, there's question marks around activity in April, although they're trying to have a camp and possibly some games. Fills me with doubt yet again. Um, they are certainly targeting the June window 
Um, I think what plays into that a little bit is the fact the FAWSL season is finished up by then. Um, so in terms of being able to have activity on home soil, that's something there would probably look to have, I think, in June. It's a pretty difficult situation. I can only imagine how difficult it is for players like Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford, um, Hayley Razzo, etc., Ellie Carpenter, who are in Europe. And <laughs> Ellie Carpenter said to Sam and I um, on a Zoom not that long ago about how difficult it was being one of the few players left at home when all your teammates are going off to camps. Um, we're in, a, I guess, a unique situation, I suppose, us and maybe New Zealand, where we're, we've got players who are over in Europe, but then we've got players in the W League. And because of the tough quarantine restrictions in Australia, it's very difficult to actually get all the players together. Um, I would have maybe liked to see a Europe players-based camp to at least get some of those players in together because we know most of, the, most of the cream of the crop are playing in Europe. There are some really top-quality Matildas here but a lot of those are over in Europe, as is Tony. So it's a shame we haven't actually seen that as yet. So in terms of what's happening with the Tillies, April maybe, June seems to be a, a definite. Um, I guess in terms of what that means, especially if we get activity happening on home soil here in Australia, um, Johnson said to me that they essentially need things like um, – quarantine exemptions that would allow the Matildas to train, which is something that um, A-League clubs coming back from the ACL have been able to do. We know tennis players coming to Melbourne for the Australian Open were able to do. But to also, ideally, I'm not sure how realistic this would be able to compete while in quarantine, if you can play games while in that 14 days. Um, I think that might be a bit more difficult. Um, they'd just, I think they'd certainly be able to train. At the moment, you can't really do any activity on home soil here because of the two-week quarantine period, international breaks where clubs are obliged to release their players by FIFA only tend to be about 10 days. So that's not really been possible. Um, so, yeah, I guess in terms of when we'll actually see them until it's hopefully April, um, I'd say definitely in June. Um, difficult thing is the Olympics, if they go ahead, are meant to be late July, August, and we've seen the USA playing in the She Believes Cup. We've seen um, England even playing games against, like, Northern Ireland, and we've seen Euro qualifiers happening, and um, we're sort of, I guess, um, left behind a, a little bit at the moment. Um, but I think what we really want to see is the Matildas playing and playing as soon as possible. Obviously, the Matildas haven't been in action since March last year when they qualified for the Tokyo Olympics. So we're coming up to a year with no tillies, basically. No good. Like um, a pub with no beer. <laughs> you'd hope that there, ha I mean, there has to be something before the Olympics. There has to be something. Mm. They can't just go to Tokyo <laughs> and meet at the airport and be like, hey, remember me? I'm Tony. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, that could be the first time that some of the Matildas meet Tony Gustafsson for the first time at the Olympic Games. Like, that's wild. Um, so, yeah, th th June there would have to be something. June looks certain, I would say, based on the conversation with James Johnson. But that's still, what, less than, less than two months out from the actual Olympics from competing. Like, yeah. while teams have been together and playing and... It's pretty, it's pretty worrying, actually. Am I the only one who's starting to get a little bit worried? Starting to. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Just like up to my shoulders in worry. That's not even about the Tillies. No. Nah. 
just the natural state of being. And then this is just on top of all of that. Yeah. But like why, for example, could we not try and organize a uh, like international friendlies with the with the football phones and Australia based Matildas or mm. like an Australia second 11 or something like that with, you know, the, the Matildas who are going to be called into the talent ID camp at the end of the W League season. Why can't under we Mel try Andrietta. and organise, with under Mel Andrietta, under Ray Dower, why couldn't we organise some sort of trans-Tasman friendly series even among, you know, among those, those teams? Because both Australia and New Zealand are competing at this Olympic Games, like this year, and neither team has prepared for it. Uh, so, like, they, they have to figure out some something, surely. Um, but, yeah, it'll, I, I don't know how they're going to do it. I, I would assume that if things don't settle down in terms of the pandemic, they'll try and have maybe two separate camps, one Europe-based camp and one Australia-based camp, um, because the quarantine periods would just, like, make the whole idea redundant. So, but they, they have to do something. And whether it does mean just, like, bringing all the players into, a, 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 like, a high-performance training environment and getting them to play, like, internal friendlies against each other, fine as long as they're doing something and they're, sur- they're surrounded by the kinds of teammates who they'll be playing with on the field at the olympic games that's better than nothing that's it sam like fine i know that there's been issues especially with the uk in terms of quarantine here there and everywhere with different countries in europe having different restrictions but if other teams in europe have been able to get players together and largely bar one or two exceptions here and there surely we can get our Europe-based players together. I know we have staff in Australia and I know there's difficulties around that, but it must be so frustrating for these players to only be able to talk over Zoom or when the three of them that live within a certain area can catch up. Like, Because it used to, you know, in tournament years, basically being in each other's pockets for these things. And I know this was originally going to be the year where it was quiet. Katrina Gorey talked about this in terms of her pregnancy. Um, but this is now a tournament year with the Olympics, assuming it, it goes ahead it must just be yeah so frustrating for them to not even got together let alone how frustrating it must be for Tony who is you know at the start of what is a really exciting project in terms of coaching long-term project to not be able to get just out on the pitch with his players like it must be so frustrating but yeah we are we're I think we're crossing everything for some some April games just because we want some killies damn it like that's that's that um but we'll move on we'll move to our our regular scheduled programming we'll move on to the boot uh sam you're booting this week take it away so the boot this week uh is based on the perth sydney game it's something that we've mentioned before it's injury we're not going to go down the broadcasting boot again because we're sick and tired of it and we've done it sort of already this episode. But one of the really devastating things to come out of the Perth-Sydney game was an injury to Ellie Brush. And Ellie Brush has been such an important figure in all the various W League teams that she's played but has been particularly important for Sydney FC this season in the absence of a lot of other more senior experienced players She was the starting centre-back and had to uh, really pick up her leadership uh, when Liz Ralston went down before the start of the season and wasn't able to join her um, in that position. She's done an extraordinary job in mentoring Nat Tobin, who was given the captain's armband for Sydney FC for the first time in the absence of Teresa Pelias. So that's 
um, sort of one of the silver linings to that game, I guess. Nat Tobin has been a really underrated player for a while, I think, and is really starting to step up this season. But towards the end of the game, Ellie Brush, who had only just returned from a pretty nasty ankle injury where she tore a couple of ligaments and was out for a solid couple of weeks, she clattered knees with Isabella Woolhead from Perth Glory and she immediately crashed to the ground and clutched at her knee and had the look of pain on her face and slammed the ground with her hand in the way that I think everybody who has ever watched someone do their ACL or their MCL can recognise, um, particularly someone who has already done it before. It was a, a kind of... Uh, yeah, it was pretty devastating to watch and it was even more devastating to see Taylor Ray, for example, who is notorious for knee injuries, come over and comfort Ellie almost immediately. That was sort of reminiscent of when Ray herself did her knee and uh, Amy Harrison came across when she was still playing for Sydney FC and, and comforted her. So I don't know what it is with Sydney FC players and just crocking up their knees there seems to be some sort of curse maybe it's like the guy who had to try and track down that voodoo doll to lift the curse on the Socceroos maybe we need to try and figure out what the voodoo curse is on Sydney FC and knee injuries because yeah it's it's becoming a bit of a problem and I'm I'm really worried actually for Sydney's run home now I think uh, you know we sort of assumed that they were a bit of a sure bet um, sort of mid-season but the this injury to Ellie Brush now means that they're really struggling for depth at uh, in their defensive lines, they're going to have to make some pretty serious shuffles to account for her. You know, that we sort of got a preview of that uh, when she was out with her ankle injury. We saw um, Charlotte McLean come into centre back and Angelique Christodoulou moved onto the fullback role, and, you know, she was fine there and they, they did okay. But it's clear that Sydney FC suffer not just defensively, but also in terms of their leadership, in terms of the stability. Um, and in terms of the calmness that Ellie Brush has uh, in that position and how she's able to, to dictate play from there. So, yeah, it's, it's never, ever good to see a player um, go down with a serious injury, an injury that will likely be the end of her season. And for someone who had aspirations perhaps to crack back into the Matildas, it's even worse. So we're all thinking of you, friend of the pod, Ellie. Uh, we hope that... Your recovery is as smooth and as uh, uninterrupted as possible. We would love to see you back in Sydney FC. I would love to see you back in Sydney FC colours in the future. Uh, but we hope that, you know, everything goes well and, and that um, you're okay in, in the winter season as well. So big old boot to knee injuries and to not seeing our favourite players come back to the dub for the rest of the season. Ah! We're thinking of Ali and we hope that everything does go quickly and smoothly. But uh, we'll move right along to some how goods because I think we need we need them. We always need them. Um, Sam, did you want to kick us off with a how good? I will. My how good is a little bit uh, wide ranging. Um, on the weekend, I was lucky enough to attend the uh, Pride Football Australia annual uh, tournament. It's been running since 2009. It was organised by a couple of community uh, grassroots clubs here in Sydney, including the Sydney Rangers and the Flying Bats, who are the first men's and women's uh, sort of LGBTQIA clubs 
um, that were established in, in New South Wales. This is Australia's first gay and lesbian football tournament uh, and it's been running consecutive years for a really long time now and it was fabulous. It, they, um, they hosted it at the uh, National Centre for Indigenous Excellence in Redfern. It was a small six-a-side tournament. Usually they invite the Melbourne counterparts of those clubs to come up and they compete for two different cups. So the Julie Murray Cup in the women's and the Justin Fashionu Cup in the men's. Uh, two players who are huge advocates for LGBTQIA rights um, in football in particular. Uh, but this year uh, they weren't able to come up because of um, quarantine issues and things like that. So it was just a, a sort of interstate uh, tournament. And one of the teams that uh, was in, involved was uh, representatives of Football Australia. So they entered a team in the women's and the men's and some of the players who I was lucky enough to uh, see strap on the boots and give a real go uh, included FA CEO James Johnson and uh, young Matilda's head coach Leah Blaney. So uh, you'd be surprised to learn, listeners, that these two people who have represented Australia at youth and senior level are actually pretty good, turns out. JJ in particular was, man, he's got a, like the touch on him. I was like, Dirt, like he was doing things around some players half his age. He was whizzing around that field. Like he's a small guy, but he's like, he's got some speed and some whip about him. I was super impressed. So yeah, it was a, it was a fabulous event and shout out to a friend of the pod, Dave Manuka, who helped to organize it as well. He's the um, fabulous social media manager for Football Australia and participated in the event as well. Um, it was really wonderful. And, and I'm wearing the shirt that I wore uh, to that event, which is uh, a rainbow jersey that um, was organized by a team in England called Altrincham FC in association with an organization called Football v Homophobia, which is an international nonprofit that uses football to address uh, issues of diversity and discrimination. So it was a fabulous event and it sort of ties into another really cool social event that happened over the weekend uh, in Brisbane, which was uh, a, an event um, for the Australian Indigenous national teams the koalas, the women's team, and the Indigenous Roos, the men's team. Uh, it was organised uh, in Redcliffe in Queensland um, alongside Peninsula Power, who are an MPL team up there in association with the with Queensland Indigenous football. So that was a, an event that ran over um, the weekend as well. It was, a, it was a fabulous event. It was live streamed on SBS, which is wonderful. Craig Foster was up there. And it just sort of speaks to, I think both of these tournaments sort of speak to something that we, we've addressed in previous episodes, which is that in the absence of top-down leadership, when it comes to representation of the diverse groups involved in football, you know, sometimes that stuff happens from the grassroots up. And these are two really good examples of that. They're, you know, two tournaments that have been organised from the communities themselves and run by the communities themselves. Um, and they're, they're just getting bigger and better year after year and getting more and more attention. So, yeah, I think it's it's fabulous and it really speaks to the power of community organising in, in sport um, that these kinds of things continue to happen and that the communities are continue to, to be represented in the absence of representation from elsewhere. So, yeah, how good. Yeah, massive how good and a big old how good to the kit that the Australian Indigenous National Teams wore. It was an absolutely stunning yellow shirt. You, there was the kind of Indigenous artwork patterns on it. We'll give it a retweet because it was absolutely beautiful. And to top it off, green shorts, white socks. Like what more What more do you want in an Australian football kit? But uh, Angela, how good from you this week? 
Yeah, um, my how good, I feel like, I'm going to talk about what it is, but you really need to just go and watch it. Um, so Evan Morgan Graham, who is a digital content producer with ABC, made a video that was basically like a, the, like the boot, but all of our boots this this year so far regarding the Fox broads, broadcast issues. Um, but it was set to the scene of Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz waking up at the end of the movie. Um, there's all the characters that you would expect to see, but Evan has also put himself into it and included additional dialogue. I would highly recommend you go and watch it. It's hilarious. Um, and also just like I wouldn't have expected it. Like I wouldn't have, I, like his mind. What? Excellent stuff. Um, so, yeah, definitely go and recommend it. Was, it's a big how good. Um, it's basically, yeah, if you wanted to summarise all our boots into one minute and 30 seconds and make it really, 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 really funny, that's what it is. So how good. So good. And Evan is also responsible for Angie the Redeemer. I'll give that a retweet as well. It's just He's doing very good work, Evan. So shout out to him. Uh, Harrow, a how good from you? Yeah, so my how good is from the classic stable of young footballer gets photo with their favourite W League player slash Matilda and then later on gets to play with them. You love it. It's just so good. Um, this one is from young Melbourne victory striker Maya Markovsky, um, the very tall striker you would have seen come on as a substitute yesterday. Um, she's still a teenager, but... Um, She's posted a photo with her now teammate, Lisa Devanna, who she is a good oh, six plus inches taller than. She is so much taller than Lisa Devanna. Um, but the caption's really nice. So she's basically, I won't go say the whole thing, but the gist of it is more than seven years ago, she waited more than 30 minutes for Lisa Devanna to get a photo with her. Um, apparently her mum kept nagging her to go home, but as an 11-year-old, she threw a tantrum about it. So she's kept screaming out to Devanna to get a photo. Um, and the cute thing is, um, obviously, this is seven years ago, so what, 2014. Um, I think this might have been the year where Victory won the championship as well. So she's got a kit, like a Victory kit, but couldn't get a W League kit and obviously couldn't even get, like, the names of the players. Like, that was just a step too far. So her dad, as a surprise for her 11th birthday, got her a victory kit and took it to a printing company and got Devanna 11 printed on it. So obviously she's at a Melbourne victory game and Lisa Devanna's playing and she's managed to get Devanna's attention. Devanna, we know, doesn't like heaps of attention and doing lots of photos and that, but she's seen that this kid has Devanna on her back and um, she's come over and they've got a photo together and it's a very cute one. Young Maya Markovsky, who's about the same height as Lisa Devanna at this time, um, with her, with Devanna on her. Lisa's got the arm around her, so she's got the Devanna 11. And uh, Markovsky, I think, says here, the best part of this story is that Lisa told me that I was the first one that she'd ever seen to have her name on her back. Um, and that was, a, and she actually got a photo of it as well. And she wraps it up by saying, almost a decade on and eight inches of growing, I have the pleasure of sharing the field with her and it's an unexplainable feeling. So... Maya Markovsky, seven years ago, getting a kit of Lisa Devanna, getting a photo of Lisa Devanna, and seven years on, being her teammate in the W League. How good. How wholesome. Just really wonderful stuff. And Angie Beard just had to chip in with a little comment 
tagging Lisa Devanna saying, Lisa Devanna is so lucky to get a photo with the tallest W League player in history. <laughs> so tallest, a little bit of fun. The tallest woman in Australia, officially. Cop that, Tyra Andrews. <laughs> so, yeah, some great wholesome content. Um, I, it, once again, we've talked about this. It's the real you can't be what you can't see. Um, the, and just the change in recent years that, as you know, it was only sort of seven years ago that you, you couldn't get a W League kit and you certainly couldn't get the name and number printed on the back. Markovsky's dad's gone to the effort of doing that. And in so that's probably the reason that she's ended up getting a photo with Lisa Devanna. She's kicked on to have a career and now she gets to call one of the greatest Matildas of all time her teammate. So, yeah, a, a classic how good. Um, and, yeah, you, you love to see it as well. Of all the recurring things we kind of do on this pod, um, the baby players now, you know, having photos with teammates or doing something when they were babies and now they're kind of living that dream. It's my absolute favourite of of all our recurring kind of things on the pod. But um, I think that's us done for, for this week. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in uh remember you can find us on espn.com.au you can find us on the espn app you can download that wherever you download your apps of course you can find us in all the usual pod spots so you spotify you google your apple please subscribe please leave reviews it really helps us do things so get around it if you want to get in contact with us we're at the far post pod on facebook insta twitter and all the good stuff that we've talked about on this episode will be shared on those platforms. So make sure you get around it. But uh, yeah, until next week, see us.